Well, we are blessed to have Steve Abbott back with us today. Steve and I met back in 1990, back when we were both young men, uh, at the Young Leaders of Evangelism in Leighton Ford's program. Leighton Ford is brother-in-law to Billy Graham. And uh, we have uh, not only become friends since then, but have remained friends and have gotten closer through the years. Steve has been here a number of times to preach, hasn't been here in a couple of years, uh, has led seminars for us, taught Sunday school class, led a parish retreat, and uh, it's just a blessing to have Steve back again. Meredith and I actually went down to Sydney, Australia to visit Steve and his wife, Sue, nearly seven years ago when we were on sabbatical, and it was just a great treat to see him uh, in his country since he's been here a number of times uh, to visit us. And so it is a blessing to have my uh, great friend and a wonderful preacher, Steve Abbott, here with us. And I'd like to pray for Steve as he prepares to preach. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for uh, Steve being with us today, for the gifts that you have given to him in preaching and teaching in ministry. Thank you for our friendship through the years and for his friendship with St. Luke's. And pray now that you would fill him with your spirit and anoint him, that you would open our hearts and minds to hear your word this day. And bless this time to your glory. And in Jesus' name, amen. But understand me, I only have one accent. And I can't do anything about it, Um, so I hope you can follow. If not, you can ask Greg later what I said, Um, or get the tape and get someone to translate it for you. It is a great privilege to be back. I love coming to uh, St Luke's. uh, My wife and I, our favourite place to vacation in the US is Hilton Head Island. We just love it. And we're very sad to see the sort of scarring um, that uh, Hurricane Matthew has brought to the island, but I'm sure it will recover. Um, But we've been reminded, of course, that we are a people who are at the mercy of the living God, ultimately, for he is the creator and the sustainer of us all. And the storm reminds those who think they can control life uh, without God that they cannot, and we need to always be dependent upon him. Well, it's my privilege to continue uh, the theme. Um, Greg, I'm not preaching on the grace of giving because I chose to. Uh, Greg asked me if I could do this um, and I was happy to do so. Now, some of you um, may have been to Japan and you may have heard of the Japanese art of uh, Kintsugi. I may not pronounce it correct. You can correct me later gently if I'm pronouncing it incorrect. Uh, This Japanese art is about getting broken pots and uh, putting them back together using gold um, so that these pots um, that were damaged and broken and um, in, a, in a mess and useless become something of incredible beauty and value. Um, the actual word um, um, means to patch with gold. So this finished pot um, is far more beautiful Um, than it was originally, and you can see that um, on the screen as you look. Now, if you are a Christian, you were a broken and damaged person. But God restored us. God set about his work 
and through his grace and his kindness he repaired us with the grace of gold or the gold of grace and made us something of value. Jesus is the king of Kintsugi. He is the king of it. And he has made us useful and valuable beyond what we ever could have been left to our own devices. The New Testament speaks of that. Indeed, um, in 1 Peter 2 verse 10, Peter writes, Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And Paul repeats uh, a similar idea in Ephesians 2 verse 10 when he says, We are God's handiwork. We are God's craftsmanship. Uh, But he adds to that a vocational statement. What we're to do, having been um, made something of incredible value. He says, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God didn't just work on us to leave us to our own devices. He wants us to fill our lives fill the beauty that he has put into our lives with things of quality. This morning in the Gospel and Epistle reading, we heard two examples of Jesus' kintsugi craftsmanship. We got to see what it looks like in the lives of Zacchaeus and of the Church of Macedonia. The chief collector, Zacchaeus, and the Church of Macedonia demonstrated exceptional generosity, reflecting the grace that they themselves had received from God in Christ. But let me pose a disturbing question, it certainly disturbs me. Does our giving to the cause of gospel ministry reflect that we have been crafted by the king of Kintsugi? Does the gold of grace, which patched us broken vessels, now beautifully reflect itself in our generosity to kingdom work? How will we employ God's generosity to us within the life of our local church and community? One thing is certain, in our Western context there are spiritual dangers and spiritual distractions from engaging in that sort of generosity. For example, take this quote from a Wilbur Chapman, who was a pastor in the late um, 19th century. He said this, It's not the ship in the water, but the, ship, the water in the ship which causes it to sink. So it is not the Christian in the world, but the world in the Christian that constitutes the danger. You see, we may be uh, beautiful, crafted kintsuchi pots, but we can still fill them with trash. We can fill them with things of, that are not valuable and are not worthy to be filled. C.S. Lewis, in his classic, The Screwtape Letters, sharpens the danger. He says, Prosperity knits a person to the world. They feel that they are, as it were, finding their place in the world, but rather the world is finding its place in them. 
I find this to be a searching, and if I'm honest, an unsettling idea. It's so easy when I'm asked to give generously for my first thought to be, if I give generously, what will I have left for myself? Rather than, what is this cause worthy of my giving? I find too often I am at the centre of my life. No wonder then when Paul wrote to the Christian churches, he often told them to put to death the things of this world. So in Colossians 3.5, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And at the end of the list he puts greed, which is idolatry. If we have not put to death greed in our lives, then I'm sure that the problem will be that we will probably end up giving God our leftovers rather than our first fruits, which the Old and New Testament call us to do. So how do we resist this natural trend? Well, I'm hoping that today's message will help answer that question. Keep that in mind. How do we resist this natural trend? Now, I anticipate when you preach on giving that some people sit in church and say, I'm already giving generously. I'm already in the deep end of generosity. But some of you may still be in the shallow end. You haven't launched into the deep end of giving yet. Like the Corinthian church, their intention was great. They were the first to put their hand up. They wanted to give toward this great appeal to feed the Jewish Christians who were in the midst of a famine. But they hadn't done it yet. And so Paul uses the Macedonians as an example to stir them to action. And maybe you are not a person who gives generously. It may be coming out of fear, fear of what the future might hold. Will you have enough resources to continue to live until, as we're living longer and longer, we want to be responsible? It may come out of ignorance that we just don't understand uh, that God calls us to generosity and promises to look after his people. But whether the reason... Um, is uh, fear or ignorance, or whether we're already in the deep end of giving or they're still in the shallow end, we all could do well to be reminded of God's generosity and kindness to us. It's good to be reminded of the foundation and the great motivation for Christianity. And what is that? Well, again, that answer to that question, I hope, will emerge as we look at three stories that that flow out of these two passages. The first story is a greed to generosity story, a transforming grace. The story of Zacchaeus is a spectacular story of God's grace in Christ Jesus. It is a little microcosm of the macrocosm of what Jesus came to do. Indeed, uh, the, the story ends with that a profound statement about why Jesus had come to the world. What was his purpose? We're told in Luke 19.10 that he came to seek and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus was one of the lost. He was an example, one example of the great mission work of Jesus. We find Jesus breaking with convention. Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus and large crowds were following him. He was coming to his town Uh, But Zacchaeus, uh, while he was a little man of stature, he had built himself up to be very large financially. Uh, But when he wanted to come and see Jesus, you can imagine the Jewish crowds who were paying the taxes to him so that he became wealthy were not real happy people. Uh, They were not about to let him come through the crowd to see Jesus. So he went down the road, climbed up a tree 
uh, came a little humble uh, and there he could see Jesus. Jesus, though, surprised everybody. Everyone knew Zacchaeus was a mighty big sinner. He spent his life gathering wealth and prosperity at the cost of his friends. He'd sold his soul to the Roman government and given up his own race, as it were, the Jewish race, by doing so. He was hated and despised. And yet Jesus stops, looks up at Zacchaeus, and even though Jesus is inviting himself to Zacchaeus' home, I mean, if I were to do that after the church today and come up to them and say, first of all, I'd make some inquiries. Who's got the nicest house? Who's got the best cook? And then I'd say, okay, I'm coming to your house for, for lunch today. You'd probably say, he's a rude Australian, but they're all rude anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. Um, you'd, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be offended if I invited myself to your home. But Jesus is different. No one wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house except maybe other tax collectors and prostitutes. So for Jesus, the great rabbi, this man who did miracles, this man whom the presence of God um, was clearly in, he comes to him and says, I'm coming to your house for lunch today or for dinner today to have a meal today. What he's doing, in fact, Jesus is the one who is extending hospitality. He, in fact, is extending the shalom of God. And Zacchaeus can't believe it. And I just want to say to somebody here today who thinks that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, that you've got some brokenness in your life, some sin in your life, you've done things in the past that you just can't forgive yourself for, and maybe you're here reaching out to find forgiveness, you can be forgiven. That's what God does. He's the professor of forgiveness. He's the one that invites sinners into the fellowship of the Father, Son and Spirit. He extends it to all. And that it took place, that grace emerged out of this contact with Zacchaeus is clear from Zacchaeus' statement in Luke 19.8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Now, if you could give half away and still have enough to give the people he cheated four times, he was very, very wealthy. So, see what grace can do. We need to remember this was a man of small stature, a man despised. He had found his significance He had found his purpose and his meaning in accumulating wealth. And I anticipate there are people in this church who can look back at their life and their careers and say, you know what, that's probably what I did. I might have been kidding myself that I was worshipping Jesus, but in fact it was all about gathering. That's where I found my significance. That's where I found my wealth. That's where I found my meaning. And this man says, I'm going to give it all away because he has been transformed. His meaning and significance and value are now found being in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. May we all pray, Lord, give me this first love again because we can become too familiar, too familiar with God, too familiar with Jesus and his grace and kindness that it becomes old school, old hat and we need a fresh toast of that. There's a, a pastor who uh, works in um, Zimbabwe, 
Um, I happened to go and work with him. His name is Reuben. I go there every second year and we've been helping them develop their ministry because they have no resources because President Mugabe has ruined the country. He's one of the wealthiest men in Africa, but it's just really sad to see what's happened to that country. Reuben is a man who pastors a church along with his wife, Chiesa, a little Baptist church in the uh, suburbs of um, Harare in a place called Mufakasa. Um, he has started a ministry in the bush uh, among his own Tonga people, uh, one of the smaller tribes of, uh, who live in the area of Zimbabwe. He um, is seen training pastors up and planning churches um, and also that's on the border of uh, Zambia in the Zambezi Valley. Um, then um, up, on the, up to the, uh, the east coast, um, near on the court, not the coast, but on the eastern border uh, near Mozambique. Uh, he came across on a visit there doing some evangelism, a, a pastor who had 20 AIDS orphans living in his house because no one could look after them. So he and his wife had invited them in and were trying to raise money to feed them and, and make life work. And so he said, we can't let this happen. And he said, so we've got to start a school. And so they started a school and now we're trying to raise funds to buy more property and build a boarding um, a facility for these children. And now there are around 70 AIDS orphans who are going to the school. Reuben gets a house and a car and petrol to put in the car. He doesn't get paid. He gives generously because he has been overwhelmed by the grace of Christ. Here is a heart that is tender towards Jesus. And that is what happens to Zacchaeus. It's a greed to generosity story. The second story, though, is a rags to riches story. It's about overflowing grace. The whole um, chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians is about Paul uh, seeking to spell out biblically why the Corinthians should give generously towards this famine relief in Jerusalem. It was very important to Paul for two reasons. One, it was an act of compassion which demonstrated uh, the love of Christ to others. But it was also a way of showing the world how the gospel of Jesus brings together people who were normally enemies and despised each other. Jews and Gentiles. But those who both knew Jesus served and supported and loved one another. So collecting funds among the Gentile Christians to give to the Jewish Christians was a tremendously powerful visual aid to everybody about the effectiveness of the Gospel of Christ. But why is this a rags to riches story? Well, look at the text, if you would, verses 2 and 3 that are there before us. During a severe ordeal of affliction, the Macedonian church's abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means. Now that's extraordinary generosity. Doesn't it blow our minds? How do you give beyond your capacity? Most people would consider that having little was a legitimate reason for not giving to others. I uh, once went to a church where they were doing the collection 
And the minister said, if you are here today and you're very poor and you have no food on the table, take some money out. I was going to suggest that here, but I was told I'd better not. <laughs> I might not get an invite back again. The treasurer and might be a little upset. But in a sense, we, we tend to think if you don't have anything, you can't put anything in. But Paul says this church, the Macedonian Christians did. Indeed, he goes on. He says, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, to the Christians. That phrase suggests to me that Paul was discouraging them from giving because they were in need. But these Christians couldn't be restrained. Here's a heart which doesn't sit down and calculate the limits of giving. It simply looks for the opportunity to love and give. Here is a tender heart that isn't consumed with self-interest. And we can note four things about their giving. First of all, it was joyful. Uh, The text talks about overflowing joy. Their joy overflowed. We are familiar with the relationship between joy and money, aren't we? Uh, When the IRS tells us we owe money, there's normally a little sadness on our faces. When money goes away, we get sad. Uh, Of course, when we get an unexpected cheque in the mail, a dividend maybe, uh, from the stock market, we smile again. Uh, When you win, um, when a CEO gets a huge bonus, there's a big smile. So we know the relation between joy and money, but here it's extraordinary. It's a contrast to what we normally see. These Christians have an abundance of joy. They grin from ear to ear when they give their money away for the king's service. They are delighted. Now, if I were to ask you to make a list of ten things that fill you with joy, what might be on that list? I suspect uh, if you're me, there'd be uh, going out to a nice restaurant, spending time with good friends, uh, watching the football, watching Pitt beat Clemson. That was pretty cool. Um, I used to live in Pittsburgh, so, and I can assure you it was cool to Greg. Not so cool to Buzz, who I watched the final quarter with, because he was going for Clemson. But, you know, they're losers always in the church, right, as well as outside. There are lots of things that fill us with joy. Going to the theatre, listening to good music. How many of you would have on your top ten list giving money to the kingdom of God? Hmm. It was on the top of the list for the Macedonian Christians. Are we missing out on this fun? They gave joyfully, abundantly. It filled them with joy. So the giving was joyful. Secondly, it was abundant. It goes on to say, with rich generosity, they gave even beyond their capacity, beyond their ability. They gave over and over above what they could afford. These believers move from the realm of the generous and reasonable to the realm of personal sacrifice and costly love. Some might say that's irresponsible giving, but that's not how the Bible thinks. That's not how God thinks. I remember being in that little church in Mufakaso in Zimbabwe. We happened to be there on one of our mission trips when they're having their gift day and uh, their congregation um, was coming forward to give And there was this widow who came down, clearly very poor. Her clothing told you that. She shuffled to the front, pulled out 
a very dirty, because they don't recycle the US currency that they now use, it just gets used and used, and a very thin, dirty $1 note she placed in. Now, she probably had nothing left, but she was giving because she had been transformed by Jesus. She knew the joy of abundant giving to Christ. Thirdly, it was enthusiastic. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing. It's clear from the Macedonian pattern of giving that it thrilled Paul to the core of his being. For he saw in them the work of grace, the work of the gospel in their lives, transformed lives. A community that was sitting loose of the things of this world and willingly giving up the things of this world for the sake of God's kingdom. Do we give enthusiastically? I can't answer that question for you. For myself, I'd say yes sometimes, and other times I'd have to say no. Too often the world sneaks in and I think, what will I have left? I want to take a moment right now to be brave and to close your eyes. And in the middle of this sermon, well, not the middle, towards the end of the sermon, for you to pray that God will give you a heart that is joyful, that is abundant and that is enthusiastic to give to the work of the kingdom. Take a moment and pray and ask that prayer of God into your life. There is a fourth thing we note about their giving. It was holistic. That is, they gave themselves first to the Lord. Paul notes that this gift wasn't about impressing the apostle. It wasn't about impressing other churches. Their first thought was to the Lord Jesus. And it was from the Lord Jesus that their giving proceeded. They recognised that this famine relief collection was of God and so they wanted generous buy-in. Now, if St Luke's vision and values as a church are in accord with God's truth, if you're convinced that St Luke's is seeking first God's kingdom and righteousness, albeit with clay feet, then pray you will all give yourselves to the Lord first and then give joyfully, abundantly and enthusiastically to St Luke's ministry. So the Macedonian church's giving was joyful, it was abundant, it was enthusiastic And it was holistic. How do you give beyond your means? Well, the last story gives us the answer. We move from a rags to riches story of the Macedonian Christians to the riches to rags story, the source of grace. So in verse 9 we read, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is a grace we also know. Jesus gave up the riches of eternity, the glories of heaven and the abiding communion of Father, Son and Spirit in order to engage our world and bring us to himself. In a world filled with look after number ones and hang on to what you've got, We need regular reminders of Jesus, the numero uno 
of generosity. For your sakes and for my sake, he became poor. Jesus' poverty encompassed his whole life. It began with the squalor of a Bethlehem temple. It moved into um, the carpenter's shop where there was sweat and splinters. It encompassed the misunderstanding of his family and friends. It involved the rejection of his own Jewish race. But these ultimately don't compare to the naked, painful poverty of the cross. There his poverty included the sin-bearing abandonment of the Father. Eloi, Eloi, Samath Bakhtani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did these awful and yet wonderful events unfold? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is not about gaining physical wealth. It's not a prosperity gospel verse. No, it's about spiritual wealth that we have in Christ. Forgiveness, the adoption as God's children, the gift of the Holy Spirit to come and dwell amongst us. All this flows from Christ. Indeed, Paul writes in Ephesians 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Here is a richest to rag story which ought to take our breath away. Why? Because it led to an amazing spiritual transaction, to a trade that, humanly speaking, makes no sense. If you spill some orange juice and you get a sponge and you wipe the, the bench off, the orange juice is no longer there, but it hasn't gone away. It's simply been soaked up into the sponge. And the cross of Jesus Christ... It's like a spiritual sponge. It's soaked up the sin and the wickedness and the evil of our lives so that when we put our trust in Jesus and we seek his forgiveness, there's a trade takes place, a transaction. Our sin is absorbed into him and his righteousness is given to us. It is an incredible gift. Humanly speaking, it makes no sense, but it wasn't human, it was divine. This is the grace of God mentioned in chapter 8 verse 1 that is given in Christ and when truly grasped produces the grace of giving which was evidenced in the Macedonian churches and Paul wanted to see in the Corinthian church. Now you can only give then beyond your means when you've embraced and keep embracing the limitless generosity of God in Christ, which you do every Sunday. In the Lord's Supper, you're reminded of the death of Jesus and his blood poured out for you. Don't let this become too familiar. Don't let it be a mechanical act. It has to be a real remembrance that burns into our hearts and minds and souls that we are creatures of extraordinary generosity, that eternity is now our destiny, because of the grace and kindness of God. Here is spectacular motivation for a generosity that is joyful, that is abundant, that is enthusiastic and that is holistic. If we dwell on the spiritual riches that we have in Christ and we know the ministries we are called upon to support are aligned with that grace, then we have the source for giving. And there's little doubt that St Luke's has all it needs 
to fulfil its vision to be an effective ministry to Hilton Head and beyond because Christ has given you all you need. Let me use a visual illustration from nature. If any, some of you may recognise this picture of these falls. They're called the Hooker Falls. Uh, the Hooker Falls are found in the North Island of New Zealand. Um, they're above the falls. You can just see um, uh, the river that runs into that narrow gorge. Um, is Lake Taupo. It is surrounded by hills and in winter they have snow on them and when the snow melts in spring the water comes rushing off the, mount, off the hills into the lake. It doesn't overflow because it rushes through into the Waikato River which starts at the end of these falls. If you stand on the bridge that you can see there you can't talk to anybody because you can't hear them because 55,000 gallons of water goes through that space in one second. It moves from 100 yards wide to 15 yards very quickly. It is thunderous. And all the blessings and the life and the vitality of Lake Taupo have to flow through the Hooker Falls and they go into the Waikato River and it provides hydroelectricity power for the valley. It provides nourishment for sheep and and goats and for cows. It provides uh, water for agriculture. And so it is that Jesus is our hooker falls. All the blessings of heaven flow through him to us and then they ought to flow through us into the ministries that are before us. Look around you right now. Look who's sitting next to you. And if it's your spouse, look behind. Look at someone different for a change. You are looking at people who are the work of the king of Kintsugi. People who were broken, who have been repaired by the gold of grace that flows from Jesus Christ. You have the resources, you have the talents, the time, the treasures and the testimonies to make a difference on Hilton Head and to make a difference in this country if you will live out your faith generously. So we just need to make sure that we're doing God's work God's way. And I trust that you are and therefore we need to give generously towards this work so it might continue. Paul encouraged the Corinthians by saying to them they should excel in this grace of giving. May we all truly be outstanding examples of the king of Kintsugi craftsmanship. May the generosity we have received be mirrored in the generosity we exercise. May we all grasp the wonders of salvation grace so that like the Macedonian Christians, we will excel in this grace of giving. When Zacchaeus made his cry of generosity, I'll give half of it away and I'll repair four times to anyone I've robbed. When he said that, Jesus actually declared, salvation has come to this house. It is my earnest prayer that here at St Luke's, as you are overwhelmed by the grace and generosity of Christ and you give towards the work of kingdom work here in this place, that it will be said of this house, salvation has come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may it be true that your saving grace that we remember this morning at the table where we received bread and wine. 
that the grace we are reminded of there overflows in our lives with joyful, abundant, enthusiastic giving that flows from our new relationship with you. May it never become boring to us or or familiar. May it always be fresh Sunday by Sunday. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.